0: I was reading something in James. A verse stuck out to me. It was actually the verse about Father of Lights, and we'll get to it in a little bit. And it stuck out to me, so I was like, hmm, I wonder what this chapter's about. I've read it a million times. I can't remember what the whole thing's about. Let me go through it line by line, and I'll just tell you it's completely different than I thought it was going to be. And that's the exciting thing about the Word of God, is I never know where it's going to lead me. I, I, I don't know when I start it, You know, obviously, I I know a lot about the Word of God, and He's shown me a lot over the years, but there's still so much I don't know. And I don't really like giving you guys from the reservoir of what I know, because that's just so small and limited. I want to give you the Word of God. I would hold one up if I had one up here, but I just have papers. The Word of God. And so I went through James, and so we'll go through it together. And so if you want to open up to James chapter 1, it's the same scripture that Christy read earlier. And that's weird. We didn't plan that at all. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. No, no, <laughs> no. We planned it. We planned it. So we'll uh, start. Um, we'll start in uh, in verse one. And, and before we start it, I just want to give a little background to the book of James. So James, you might be thinking, oh, who, who wrote that? James. Some you might think the Apostle James. Well. I guess we don't really know 100% for sure, but tradition has it that it was James, the brother of Christ. Um, in uh, in one of the reasons we think that in Galatians 1, verse 19, I didn't put the verse up here, I don't think, but in Galatians, um, Paul's talking about how he, he, for years after he got saved, he didn't meet any of the apostles except the Lord's brother, James. And uh, he called him that, but you'll find... Here in James that, James does not call himself that, and we'll read about it. We'll start in verse 1 here. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. So real quick, the first thing of that first verse, I'm amazed what I got out of this first verse. What the Lord gave me out of this first verse, I should say. But the first thing is, I feel like servant is an unfortunate translation. A lot of you might have a footnote over that word servant, or maybe it's bondservant. I think slave is probably the right way. That's really what that servant is. It's it's a slave. And James is re- revealing himself as a slave, not a servant of Jesus Christ, but a, sl- a slave of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we're pretty familiar with the term, you know, being a slave to sin, but the other part of that is if we're not a slave to sin, we are a slave to God. In this section, we also see the humility. So like I already said, this is written, I believe, by James, the brother of, of Christ. Notice he didn't say, James, brother of Christ. <laughs> I was thinking, who, okay, so who watched the Super Bowl a few weeks ago? Who was the, the, winning, Super, the winning quarterback? winning quarterback? Patrick Mahomes. You ever, okay. If that's all you know, that's all you need to know for what I'm about to say. I was thinking of this the other day. What if Patrick Mahomes was my brother? I'd be, like, looking for any opportunity to tell people that he's my brother. People, people ask me to dinner, like, oh, tonight, you know, I was going to do something with my brother, Patrick Mahomes. But... Uh, Yeah, I I think that those plans are canceled. I can can do tonight. Someone hands me a stick of gum. Like, you know who else likes this gum? My brother, the Super Bowl champ. (laughs) Why are you so out of breath? I just got done beating my brother in a game of one-on-one. Patrick Mahomes, have you heard of him? I'd be shameless. <laughs> James had a brother who was the central figure in all of human history. But yet, he calls himself a slave. Think of that humility. He doesn't, he doesn't bring it up. Paul brought it up. Paul said, James, the brother of Christ. Everyone knew it. It was the elephant in the room, but he's not going to say it. No, I'm a slave. I'm not worthy to be called his brother. We need to have that kind of reverence for Christ and His lordship. Sometimes we can be kind of flippant about it, and get too much maybe on the side of Jesus as my friend, which is true. Jesus is our friend, but maybe we err so much on the side of that that we forget about the other side of that, which is revering Him as the God of the universe. One other point that I kind of drew from this is that James, you know, he wasn't always a believer. In fact, if you remember, there's a scripture I I put in here, John 7. So it says, so his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he wants to, to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And it says, for not even his brothers believed in him. So you think during his earthly ministry, even his own family didn't believe him. And, you know, to me, that would seem like an indictment, like, man, Your own family doesn't even believe in you. But you see, something happened. James, who was skeptical, now was an apostle. Now was totally changed after seeing what happened to Christ. This isn't a guy who experienced a fakery. He didn't see that that his brother faked it. Well, I guess I'll go along with it. No, no, no. If, If Jesus faked it, if Jesus wasn't actually the Lord in Christ, oh, he would have probably been the first one to tell you. But no, he was—he was committed. And I think that's actually an amazing part that I never even saw before. I never thought of that. But how awesome is that? That he went from an unbeliever to a believer in his in his own household. Sometimes we're the most critical. Well, I don't have siblings, but I assume you know just from what I see, you guys are always critical of your siblings. <laughs> Not me though. Verse 2, back back into James, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I'm just going to stop there for a second. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. You know, we're so trained in our life to avoid conflict, to avoid trials, to avoid discomfort of any kind. You know, I I remember... (laughs) I remember I used to I had a job a while back where I had to fly all over. Uh, it was a pretty cool job I, I liked flying i I like the whole experience of flying and uh, even like the part where it's like, hmm, this plane might go down is kind of like, well, there's worse ways to go down, you know it's kind of fun to think about i i like I like the experience, and so i'm all, I always get in the airplane seat I'm just like, yeah, what's going on? you know it's like a new experience every time. But I, I see other people get on. It's like a thirty-minute flight, and they like get in like credit card, movie, drinks, whatever. It's like they can't stand thirty minutes of being bored. <laughs> they can't stand thirty minutes of of not having everything they want. I think this is probably a lot of us. Uh, me too, in a lot of areas of life. You know. We can't just take a little bit of boredom in our life. We can't just be silent for a minute. We can't take a little bit of pain in our life. Our entire life, think about the purchases that we make when we go to the store. You know? I mean, aside from like the necessities like food and clothing, even clothing, really, it's, it's all about making us feel better, making us less uncomfortable. I'm not saying it is wrong to, to buy those things. Not at all. I buy those things, but that is, that's, tends to be our life. It's all about minimizing pain, minimizing all those things. But, but this, this is saying count it joy when you meet trials of various kinds. When hardship comes in your life, instead of just throwing up your arms like, ah, count it joy. It's, it seems kind of backwards, doesn't it, from, from how we normally deal with things. And then he says in verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So, you know, um, you know are we going to be like the people, people who, who can't stand the boredom, who can't stand pain? I want to I make sure, you know, I'm the type of person, I can go to the store for a carton of eggs and not have to buy something for me. <laughs> something to make me happy. Where do we get the, you know, that the satisfaction, that happiness from? Do we get it from the things of this earth, or do we get it from the Lord? And then in verse 4, it says, But let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what does steadfastness mean? I just looked up the actual dictionary definition of this. It's resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. I thought that was a pretty good definition. Firm and unwavering. So we are to be unwaveringly steadfast so that, uh, so that it has an effect of making us perfect and complete. So is it like perfect like never sin again? No. No, this is like perfect as in fully grown or brought to maturity. That's really what that word perfect means. God wants trials and the tribulations of this life to change us. We read that in 2 Corinthians 4.16. It says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory. Uh, That is beyond all comparison. So it's preparing us, right? The, the things that we go through are preparing us for something bigger. See, I didn't expect this sermon to go here because it's a kind of a, a, a difficult thing to talk about. I don't really like talking about it. But I was stuck because I had already studied all the, up to this point. And I'm like, well, I got to continue here. That's the beautiful thing about the word of God, though, is because it takes us where we might not be willing to go on our own. Sometimes, you know, this says it's light momentary affliction. I don't know, you might be thinking, well, yeah, James didn't know about, or uh, sorry, this would be Paul. This is in 2 Corinthians. Paul didn't know about my affliction. It's not light or momentary. Mine's like permanent and hard. Maybe you're drowning in debt, marriage falling to pieces, kids wanting nothing to do with you, or God, death of a loved one. It may not seem light, and I'm not making light of it. I'm not. But it seems clear in scripture that these are light momentary afflictions. They don't seem light in the moment, but once they're through, you know, uh, you know, once the morning comes, joy comes in the morning, right? That's right. So you can choose on how we're going to deal with this. We can't choose what's going to happen to us, but we can choose how we're going to deal with it. Either we're going to choose to be angry, bitter at at God and others and making everyone else miserable and ourselves. That's one option. Or we can do what James said, and we can let steadfastness have its full effect. One other verse is in Psalms 26. Psalm 26, verse 1 through 3. There's a couple verses that have the same sentiment, but I picked this because David wrote it. It said, "Vindicate, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind for your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. I used to pray a prayer like this a lot. Like, Lord, test me, try me. I used to pray it every day. And I tell you what, that's a very hard prayer to pray. Um, just because when you ask the Lord to test you, he <laughs> will. Yeah, you, you never know what way it will, right? But God wants all of us to have the steadfastness that David's talking about here. That, that steadfastness uh, to, to the unwaveringness in our pursuit of the Lord. You know, I I think about the life of David. It's it was a life filled with pain. Think about all the years running from Saul, trying not to get dead. Think of though but think of his personal life, you know, with Bathsheba and having a man killed to cover up his prior sin. This man was a man who, who had a lifetime of pain, more than I can imagine. But yet, through it all, David remained steadfast to the Lord. You know, even the Lord, as we know, the Lord said, David is a man after my own heart. So we know he, he stayed steadfast. And so, you know, these light momentary afflictions, like I was talking about, we need to remain steadfast through them and allow, allow that. what was that verse? Allow um, the steadfastness to... Do something good to us. I can't remember. (laughs) Verse 12. Let's skip to verse 12. Back in James. Uh, Blessed is the man who... No, that's not it. Verse 12. Yeah. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So, I started working out recently. This is where you say, like, wow. <laughs> no, I, I, I've, I started working out. I used to be the type, and this hasn't been very long. I haven't been working out a whole lot, but I tell you what, it's been every day. I, I love it. I feel so good. Uh, you know, I've lost a little bit of weight. Not a lot, but a little bit, and I just, hmm, I feel good. I just feel good. I'm not saying it to brag. I'm saying it because I have a point. <laughs> I used to be the type, not too long ago, if somebody said they work out, I would have been like, why? (laughs) You know that hurts, right? You know that there's pain involved. You know, it's actually, I don't know if you know this, it's a lot easier just to sit on your couch, right? (laughs) I would have been that guy not too long ago. But now I'm on the other side of that. I'm like, man, what have I been missing? Yes, I was right about the pain, though. There's a lot of pain involved. Some more than others. I don't know if you've ever heard of burpees. <laughs> it's awful. That's, I usually avoid those when I sit that one out. But it is painful. It is very painful is what I found out. Working out necessarily means that you're, you're stretching out and tearing muscles that you wouldn't normally tear up. and you're, you're, it, It's uncomfortable because it's something you don't do. Obviously, it's the same in our spiritual life doing things that are uncomfortable, doing things that we don't normally do hurts. But here's the dirty little secret. You ready? The pain comes either way. The pain comes either way. Whether we face it head on or delay it, the pain comes either way. You know, and, and unless you think I'm being needlessly harsh, you know, Jesus said this in John 16. He said, "I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation but take heart i have overcome the world so what what is tribulation you know that that word tribulation means pressure affliction anguish burden pain is a part of this sinful fallen world you know we're going to experience it i'm not trying to be harsh it's just just a matter of fact we're going to experience the pain of this life but pain do we, want to be, do we want to be overcome by pain or do we want to face it head on and overcome the world with that pain? You know, I want to be the latter. The Lord told me a while back, it was, it was just a word he gave me like a year ago, and I, I still have yet to know exactly <laughs> how to apply it to my life. The Lord told me, steer into the pain. That was a really tough thing to hear and i still don't quite know what it means but i think it's a willingness to steer into the pain and we'll go on to verse 13 through 15 in james it says let no one when he is tempted sit. is that right Okay, my, my mine's not written right. Um, let no one, when he is tempted... Say, oh, yeah, it doesn't say say. That's messing me up. Say, I am being tempted by God. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> um, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived... Gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You know, up to this point, we've been talking about steadfastness, right? Steadfastness produces in us maturity. It, it works in us, um, you know, completeness and wholeness. That's what steadfastness does. If we're steadfast in the Lord, it'll bring us to perfection, you know, completeness. But now we see the opposite side, the dark side of that. If steadfastness does that, the, the desire of sin takes us the other way. We see that desire gives birth to what? Sin. And then sin, um, sin also grows to maturity, but not the same kind of maturity. It's a little bit different. Steadfastness, steadfastness makes us grow like a human. We start out like a microscopic organism, and we grow eventually into adolescence, and eventually mature manhood. But sin also starts out small. You know, Jesus compared it to what? Uh, Sin to like leaven or yeast. You put a little little bit of yeast, almost a microscopic amount, in the big lump of dough, and it makes the whole thing rise, right? He, He compared sin that way. Sin starts out small, but when it grows, it grows like a cancerous tumor, and it brings forth death. Both grow. One grows to life, the other grows to death. And then he continues in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So deceived by what? I think by the evil desires that we read about in verse 14 there. Do not be deceived by those evil desires. He says, for every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You know, earthly gifts don't satisfy. And I know that sounds really cliche, but I remember as a kid learning this lesson every year, where it's like I, I remember like I, I had like certain Christmas presents I want. And I think I remember thinking every time, like, man, if I get this Christmas present, my life will be complete. <laughs> like, if I get this video game, I'll never want anything ever again. I don't think. I don't even know if I need food anymore after that one. <laughs> don't we tr- don't we look at things like that though? Almost like, man, if I only get this one thing, whatever it is, it's not always. You know, it's not always gifts like that. You know, sometimes um, it's other things. Maybe it's the false promise of sin. You know, sin is a gift, a bad gift with a false promise. Maybe it's sex, selfishness, gluttony. Maybe I just need one more donut and I'll be happy i I relate with that, <laughs> sex, you know I think 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 about how it, it's like this it's this present that's beautifully wrapped in it and you think it's going to be just great and inside. I'm not going to finish that. <laughs> it's all these things, gluttony um what, what are the other ones I mentioned? Selfishness, drunkenness. Just one more drink. These things have the promise of being something great, of being a a great gift that's going to help you and make you a better person, more whole and complete, but in the end, it's all a lie. We know it is. We've experienced it, all of us, every single one of us have experienced it many, many times, the false gifts of of Satan, really, of the false gift of sin that doesn't, doesn't give us anything good and it just leaves us wanting more. It says in verse 17, I'll read it again, coming, it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You know, those old video games? I, I can't remember the last time I've ever played them. I don't even have them anymore. They, they brought me joy for like a minute, and then I moved on to the next thing. You know, that brand new car you got two years ago? No longer has the new car smell, Right? It says, the Father of lights, our God, he gives good gifts. Not gifts that pass away. Not gifts that change. Or, you know, cast a shadow because they're changing all the time. You know, things that once looked new, now they're all yellowed and tarnished over time. It's like, ah, that's not new anymore. I was shocked when we were playing that Revelation song earlier. You know, in my mind, I still think that's a new song. It said 2004. It's 19 years old. I was blown away. (laughs) Maggie said, we need to play new songs. And I'm like, we played Revelation's song. It's two decades old. Never mind. One last verse. You know, uh, Jesus, we remember when he was uh, talking to a Samaritan woman. At the well, right? The woman at the well is what we call it. And he was talking to her and she's like, why are you even talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a woman. Samaritan woman. And he's like, well, he said, if, if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked him for living water, right? We know that verse. And, and then in John 4, verse 14, Jesus told her, he said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And you know, I just think about how important that water is. Regular water, I'm drinking it all the time because I'm always getting thirsty. And I drink it and I get thirsty. And I drink it and I get thirsty. And he's saying, oh, I have living water. You drink it one time, you're good. You drink this living water, it satisfies you. See, the things of this life, whatever it is, whether it be the sins, whether it be any other enticements, anything of this earth, it, it's just like it's like an insult. You know, you, it's like you, you try it and it's like good for a second, and then you're like, man, now I'm miserable. But Jesus gives us water that wells up to eternal life. And so I don't know what kind of gifts you're chasing, but if it's a gift that fades, if it's a gift that changes wears out, leaves you desperate and thirsty, then it's a bad gift. You know, this is a kind of a tough lesson. You know, I, I'd like to do something a little more upbeat. But I also don't want it to be me. I want it to be the word of God. And this is where the Lord led me, you know. He's given us his word for a reason. He wants us to, he wants us to study his word. And not only the, the good parts that we like. Not only our favorite verses. (laughs) He wants us to push through the pain. You know, I I don't think that means, you know, hurting yourself or anything like that on purpose. Obviously not. That's not what we're saying. But this life is naturally painful. You don't need to look for it. Steer into it a little bit, allow that steadfastness to have its full effect. Push through the light momentary affliction and remain steadfast. And let's comfort ourselves with the good gifts that come from the Father of Lights.